providing loans to companies and the Bank of Japan adding stimulus and monetizing some of that debt? I'm, I'm not sure what the, the the limit is. I mean, the, eventually the limit would be if there, if there ever was a, a big surge in inflation. Mm-hmm. But I think at the moment it, it, all, all that lending is, is just offsetting the collapse in, in revenues by, by firms during the, the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, I don't think there's, there's much uh, additional demand being generated now. Obviously, that could happen once the virus is brought under control, but I think that's still a long way off with, with that renewed outbreak that we saw over the last few days, uh, underlining that it's, consumers will probably remain cautious. Thanks, Marcel, for your insights there. That's Marcel Tyon, Senior Japan, Australia, and New Zealand Economist at Capital Economics. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Big surge going on in markets around Asia at the moment. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is now up 3%. Similar story in Australia, the ASX 200 also up 3%. Uh, over in South Korea, the Cosby has risen 2.7% not long after the open. And the futures markets suggesting we're going to see a similar surge for the Hang Seng at the open of around about 500 points. That will take the index to about 24,270 when trading gets going in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is trading a little bit weaker at $39.66 a barrel. Uh, But gold is moving up a little. It's at $1,726 an ounce. All quiet in the currency markets. Uh, The US dollar's at 107 and a third Japanese yen. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning for Money Talk at 8 o'clock. Back chats coming up after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong this morning. The weather forecast, sunny periods and isolated showers, very hot, a maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. The outlook is for it to be mainly fine and very hot in the next few days. It's 29 degrees right now and it's 78% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The World Health Organization says more than 100 people have now been infected by COVID-19 in Beijing. The WHO's executive director in charge of health emergencies, Michael Ryan, described the outbreak as significant as Beijing had previously gone 50 days without any local transmission. Mr Ryan said the WHO was monitoring the situation very closely. We do have a team in China that's actually based in Beijing. Uh, our country office there is led by our country representative, Dr. Gauden Galea, and we have a number of epidemiologists permanently embedded in our Chinese office and work on a day-to-day basis with colleagues at the National Health Commission, at the China CDC, um, and at CDCs all around China. Donald Trump says he can live with a decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to ban workplace discrimination for LGBT people. His administration had argued against the move. The decision is being seen as the most important ruling for LGBT rights since same-sex marriage was legalized five years ago. It was led by Mr. Trump's conservative nominee to the court, Neil Gorsuch. Speaking at the White House, Mr. Trump gave a muted response. I've read the decision, and some people were surprised, but uh, they've ruled, and we live with their decision. That's what it's all about. We live with the decision of the Supreme Court. Very powerful, a very powerful decision, actually. But uh, they have so ruled. The United States has confirmed its plans to withdraw thousands of its troops stationed in Germany. The number will be reduced by more than a quarter to 25,000. President Trump describes Germany as delinquent for not spending enough on its own defence. Here's the BBC's Jonathan Marcus. 
President Donald Trump has now formally acknowledged plans for a sizable U.S. troop cutback in Germany that first leaked to the press earlier this month. That news came as a shock to the German government, and it will alarm many of Washington's NATO allies. Germany's ambassador to the U.S., Emily Harbour, noted that U.S. troops were not in Europe to defend Germany. They are there to defend transatlantic security. They are also there, she said, to project American power in Africa and in Asia. Strategic experts see this as a step that only benefits Russia. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're talking today about the latest COVID-19 situation in Hong Kong, in Beijing, and in other parts of the world, especially the United States. Several districts of the capital have put up security checkpoints, as we've been hearing, closed schools, and ordered people to be tested for the coronavirus after an unexpected rise in cases linked to the biggest wholesale food market in Asia. State-run newspapers reported that the virus was discovered on chopping boards used for imported salmon. And locally in Hong Kong, another man who lives in Lek Yun Estate in Sha Tin has tested positive, the ninth confirmed case from the same state within the past two weeks. Is there a second wave of COVID-19? What exactly is the picture in the United States? Is it safe to relax measures here? What about sports facilities, for example? And would those proposed changes to public gathering rules from 8 to 12 make much of a difference? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bank Chat and RTHK. Radio 3. You can email us backchat.thk.hk or call us on 233-88266 233-88266 Professor Cowling will be uh, joining us from the University of Hong Kong after the news at 9. Also going to be hearing uh, about uh, plans for uh, new helpers and uh, quarantine arrangements uh, after the news at 9. Joining us for the first part of the programme, we have with us now uh, once again Dr Eric, uh, Eric Ding who's an epidemiologist, a health economist and nutrition scientist at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health uh, in the United States. Uh, once again, if you want to comment, then uh, give us a call. 233-88266 is the best way to do it. Uh, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. Before we get into that topic, some uh, uh, emails on uh, various other subjects. Uh, let's see. First of all, related to the discussion yesterday, this uh, when we were talking to uh, Ronnie Tong about aspects of the uh, national security law. Uh, David, in an email, says, After listening to Backchat with Ronnie Tong, I'm again amazed of the irony and double standards by Hugh's questions and the ones from the usual pro-anti-government protest-stroke-pro-riot commentators. Since years, they are against Article 23, and according to their opinion, the central government also does not have the right to introduce its own national security laws in Hong Kong. Why? Because all their epic superficial reasons why Hong Kong should not have Article 23 or any national security laws, they still believe that one country, two systems, means Hong Kong is still not a part of China and that they and the West should have the final say on how Hong Kong should be run and governed. If you believe I'm wrong, please re-reconcile this for me. The US has multiple draconian national security laws and secret courts. The Patriot Act alone 
alone allows full-spectrum spying on any ordinary U.S. citizens without a judge's approval. Uh, Trump now labels Antifa as a terrorist organisation and a threat to national security. Officials in the U.S. have been charged for suspected collusion with Russia under existing national security laws. Chinese students and researchers are being targeted using national security laws and anti-treason laws in the U.S. But when certain groups here try to turn Hong Kong into a base against mainland China, stocking Sinophobia, spitting people into mainlanders and Hong Kongers, openly collude with Taiwan, the USA and other Western countries to interfere in Hong Kong and mainland China affairs, to fund and support large-scale protests, riots, with the aim to undermine the Hong Kong government and education system with revisionist history, to destroy the main pillars of society, even co-opting the media and government-funded broadcasters in their cause, portraying the organisers as victims and political prosecuted, giving them even a platform for their ideas. That suddenly all becomes acceptable here. Tell me if the US, UK or any other Western countries would accept this. That comes from David. Sherman says, uh, Dear Backchat, I saw Deutsche Welle's Conflict Zone interview with Ronnie Tong, in which the host stood high on his ivory tower of virtue, signalling and moral superiority, putting words into Tong's mouth and trying to force the narrative. I'm grateful to Mr Tong for standing firm in telling our story against toxic portrayal of Hong Kong by Western media. After that interview and a subsequent one on the same show, in which Regina Ip was not even allowed to finish her sentences before the same host launched assaults on her with loaded questions, Questions full of prejudice, I have lost all trust in the British and German media. Some Western journalists act in such shamelessly unprofessional ways, probably because they think they can help damage China's global standing. Well, they forget that they also damage the global standing of the profession they represent, as well as that of their own countries in the eyes of billions of people. That's from uh, Sherman. Uh, Candy says this is a different topic altogether no slavery in Australia question mark Candy says it's surreal that the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison claimed there was no slavery in Australia during a parliamentary debate what would he call historical images showing Aboriginals kept in chains and enslaved by colonial whites why is he as a leader of the Australian government so out of touch with the people why is he undermining efforts of the Australian community to come to terms with past colonial crimes against humanity so that society will find ways to compensate for the racist past and help originals lead better lives with institutional reform. Uh, and an interesting email from uh, one uh, with the subject of colonial statues, monuments and street names. One says in various cities in, the, in America, Canada, the UK, New Zealand, people have either taken matters in their own hands and toppled and disposed of colonial era monuments or statues of individuals who are responsible for past crimes against indigenous people who have profited or who have profited from illicit trade such as slavery. We should learn from the citizens of these countries who reject symbols of colonial oppression. Local councils of some cities in these countries have also taken action and removed offending statues and put them away in museums. Many outdated street names have remained unchanged in, in the post-handover Hong Kong, and it would be a good start for Hong Kong to consider changing street names. Elgin Street, for example, honours James Bruce, the 8th Earl of Elgin, who was responsible for the order to loot and destroy the Summer Palace in Beijing. And finally, Andrew Kay says, uh, Remember this email? Uh, four question marks. I rest my case. And the email came from the 10th of March, uh, in which Andrew Kay wrote, I do not wish, I do not think that Western democratic governments have the strength or balls to implement the discipline needed to contain this virus. That's from uh, Andrew Kay. Once again, our email address, backchat at rthk.hk. Call us on 233 Dr. Ding, good morning to you. Eric Ding. 
thanks very much indeed for, for, for joining us once again. Um, uh, first of all, uh, let's just go to the, look at the situation in the US. So here's very kind of conflicting accounts of, of what is actually happening there. Uh, what is the picture of, of uh, the, the COVID situation now in the United States? Yeah, the U.S. is having a resurgence in on a regional level. So the U.S. is obviously as big as Europe. So New York, there's a very precipitous drop in New York and, and all of northeast uh, U.S. But throughout the south, throughout the, the west, western states, you're seeing a very strong resurgence signal. And some of the epidemics are so strong that hospital beds in Arizona and Alabama are almost near capacity. So his IDD 0060. Please key in the telephone number. Uh, yep, yeah, sorry. No, we <laughs> seem to have a uh, technical problem there uh, with that call. Uh, so if we can get him back. We've been cut off there for a moment. Uh, once again, the number is 233 uh, if you want to call. Uh, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, let's see if there's uh, any messages on our Facebook page uh, we could access while we're waiting to uh, reconnect, perhaps with... Uh, Dr. Uh, Ding. Let's see. Um, I'll just scroll down and uh, have a look. Just related to today's discussion, uh, Tom says, from a certain pool of journalists, I see freshly energised new chatter on social media about the oil tanker accident and the new COVID outbreak in Beijing. It makes me want to watch the old David and Mitchell skit, Are We the Baddies? and ponder its premise. That and the thing about the black flag with the dying flower on it. Uh, and he has a link to a, uh, uh, a comedy sketch um, from uh, Mitchell and Webb uh, where the Nazis are asking, uh, are we the uh, baddies? Uh, actually, uh, yesterday in the uh, discussion with Ronnie Tong, we didn't really have a chance to to uh, uh, get to many of the uh, Facebook comments, uh, as I recall, that, that uh, came in. Um, on that, uh, Bruce says, uh, related to the discussion yesterday with Ronnie Tong, how can anybody talk or think optimistically about the National Security Bill without seeing, reading it first? But I guess that is de- why we are deaf, dumb and blind allegiance that goes to say uh, from uh, Bruce uh, a lot of uh, discussion uh, are yesterday uh, as I say uh, on those uh, on that discussion with uh, Ronnie Tong uh, you uh, says there worries breed anger and prompt Hong Kong people to take action against the extradition bill and national law for Hong Kong there are still 27 years to go before 2047, so signs of one country, one system should not come so early. But if they do, people are doing all they can to stop them at the expense of their family, as many young people moved out from their parents because of different political views, their physical well-being when confronting the police, their virginity and even their life. Are young people being made use of by other countries to combat the rapid growth of China in economy? Is the situation of freedom in Hong Kong so bad, which renders the fright for its independence is the idea reachable uh and uh, tom says yep there's hardly any real life problem here at all compared to so many people around southeast asia or the middle east or black people who don't have the freedom in country of freedom it's a bit unfair the wealthier 
and with greater English and graphic design skills a group has, the vastly more coverage they get from CNN and BBC, but probably the less help they actually need. I don't hear much from places like Libya or Yemen or various parts of Thailand or Indonesia these days where people are living under terrible human rights uh, conditions. Uh, Zach says, uh, responding to uh, you, uh, simply, would you ask your 15-year-old son or daughter to go to the front and fight? This is no French Revolution, but the situation in Hong Kong has uh, no reverse. That is, in the coming years, before 2047, protests and injuries will continue. Police and people will continue to hate each other and hurt each other brutally. That comes from Zach on, on our Facebook page. Uh, once again, our number is 233-88266. And... Uh, Okay, uh, we're joined uh, now. We, we don't seem to be able to get that line back uh, with uh, Eric Ding, but we are joined um, a little earlier than planned. Uh, thank you very much indeed by Professor uh, Ben Cowling, who I, who I did mention was, was going to come on later from the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. OK, we're talking to you f um, nicely. Good, that's fine. Uh, thanks very much indeed for that. Uh, let's um, talk about a little bit maybe about Beijing, because that's making the headlines uh, uh, today. Um, uh, we don't know the specifics. Uh, I don't know if you have any extra information apart from what's uh, what's available. A lot of people, of course, are kind of worried by that that that, that flare up. Um, do you have any thoughts from from what you know of the situation there in Beijing? Is this is this like a second wave? Is this the return of the disease? Yeah. So we knew that cases would come back sooner or later after the country opens up a little bit and lifts the lockdowns, and we didn't know whether it would be a week or a month. And in fact, it's been two months since the previous local cases, most likely this particular outbreak was started by perhaps an asymptomatic case from another part of the country infected, maybe we don't know, and then traveling to Beijing and starting this particular outbreak. It was picked up when a few of the cases got a little bit more sick, but then by doing all of this extra testing, testing tens, hundreds of thousands of people, they've identified almost 100 cases linked to the outbreak. And that's a little bit worrying because a lot of those are cases that would not have been found had they not been doing all of this extra testing. But I think now with the lockdowns in those districts, with all the extra testing, they will get on top of this particular outbreak. But it shows this kind of thing can happen. Uh, Professor Cowling, it is said that um, uh, there are um, a number of cases related to another seafood market, the Sinfadi market, and uh, the virus was found on chopping boards used for imported salmon. Is this possible? I So there was a initial proposal or idea that the virus might have traveled all the way from Norway on the salmon. Um, but I don't think that's what happened. I mean, it's theoretically possible, but it's very, very unlikely. More likely the virus on the chopping board got there because of the person who was using it, who was sick and then contaminated the chopping board with virus. Um, so I don't think that's the source. Um, and I think epidemiologists in China have also come to the same conclusion that the virus was most likely already in China before the start of this outbreak. So, so we have seen um, the cases surge very rapidly. Um, uh, there, there are now over 100 new cases. So, so you think this will be a very quick surge, like what happened in Singapore uh, two months ago? I, I don't think it will be the same as Singapore. I think they'll get on top of it much more quickly than they did in Singapore in the migrant worker dormitories. And so I think this particular outbreak will be contained. But the problem is Beijing may need to go to a citywide shutdown 
within the next few days if more cases are identified. And that's going to be very, very disruptive for Beijing, having, you know, not long ago come out of the previous lockdown. Is this typical, this, this, this pattern of you think it's all over and then it comes back? Uh, and if so, you know, how long would this go on? We know the virus has ways of getting in. It's really difficult to detect in very mild cases. Quite possibly there were some people coming back to China, just like people have come back to Hong Kong, maybe with mild infections and slip through the net. And then just one case can then be the spark that starts one of these small outbreaks. We've seen in Hong Kong as well, the outbreak in the Let Eunice Day. It wouldn't surprise me if there's another outbreak picked up in the next week or two somewhere else in Hong Kong, because it's always possible for the virus to find a way in. And then, and then start to, to cause an outbreak. Does that mean we have to live with it? We have to live with it until there is some kind of vaccine or cure? Yeah, I think so. Now, now we're, we're having a, a quiet time with the virus in Hong Kong. It's time to relax a little bit. But we need to be prepared that the virus is going to come back again, like with the Lek Unis Day. Maybe there'll be another one. And at some point in the coming weeks, we may have to tighten up some of the public health measures again, like back in March. So, so in Beijing, um, many residential compounds uh, have now reinstated security checks and uh, schools have been suspended. Uh, do, do you see this is, uh, so this is just like a lockdown. Um, if this happens to Hong Kong, it means that we have to go back to a suspension of classes and the city more or less being locked down again. I, I don't think we were ever quite in a lockdown. We did have a lot of people working from home and then some leisure facilities, bars and nightclubs and so on were closed, but we were never quite in a lockdown in the same way that China does its lockdowns. I think if there's a resurgence in local cases, some maybe some more clusters, maybe in the coming months, we may see a return to some of those measures again, closure of those leisure facilities, people working from home again. I'm not sure if we go back to school closures in any way, the summer holidays are coming up. Um, but we have to think about that again in September, October, if, if we face further outbreaks. We've already kind of gone back once, haven't we? Um, could could we do it again? You know, we've already sort of had the restrictions and then loosened them and then tightened them again. Now they're getting looser. How often can we go backwards and forwards like this? You know, and, and in Hong Kong, we're pretty law-abiding, but in many places in the world, they just won't put up with it. And I'm thinking of the United States in particular. Um, it, it would be very, very hard to go back to any kind of lockdown, won't it? I think. I think that's... That's a really good point. It's going to be really difficult for some of those places to get into lockdown cycles. But that's what may be necessary to protect people's health. We've seen in Alabama that the numbers of cases really coming up. So Arizona cases coming up a long way. And, uh, and it's really concerning. And this was already known back in February, March. If you remember the UK discussion about herd immunity, one of the reasons people advocated for the herd immunity strategy was that lockdown cycles, the alternative, are so disruptive, so difficult to sustain. Hmm. Okay, and number 233-88266. We've got Mike on the line. Mike, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, and, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to another topic, but on, on the topic of, uh, of the influenza, you follow SARS, you follow uh, N1H1, you follow, oh, they last for two years. It's, we're going to have it for two years. It's not going to be a surprise. It's how... It's, it's the cycle. But we didn't have SARS. SARS, SARS came and went pretty quickly, didn't it? Uh, but no, not, there, were, there were pockets around the world. Hmm. And, and it's just, it, and if, we get a, if we get a, uh, uh, a, an, an influenza uh, 
injection in what takes about two years to develop, it's already too late. It won't be, it won't be necessary by then. But you watch. They'll try to sell it to you. Hmm. Professor Cowling, yeah. any thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, certainly the coronavirus is going to be out for a while. If the vaccine comes out, that will help a lot. But if a lot of people have already been infected by the time the vaccine's available, it won't be as useful as it would be for a place like Hong Kong, where I think we're going to keep the coronavirus out for a long time. Why would you say that vaccines help a lot? Do the influenza vaccines that we have right now help a lot? Well, different vaccines have different effectiveness. So there's some That's vaccines exactly have very right. high levels of effectiveness. The flu vaccine is not particularly effective it's probably 40 50 percent effective which is still uh, oh, preventing a, a lot of deaths every year a lot of every year but for the coronavirus vaccine we have to wait and see how effective it's going to be the influenza the influenza injection at best it's 40 to 50 percent and the, the cdc thinks it's successful if it's over 17 percent successful yeah but so, that's a lot of hospitalization prevented if you vaccinate all your elderly and, you, and there's a lot of them that would get flu. If you can prevent some of those, it's worth doing. I it's mean, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. That's really difficult. That's really difficult to prove. But let's not go into that. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. Hugh, I want to go back to a letter that you read that, that castigated you. I think that was very unfair. I really do. I think you gave, I gave, I think you gave uh, Tommy Chong a very, uh, a very wide berth. Ronnie, Ronnie Chong. Ronnie Tong, I think you gave him a very wide berth. You could have really hammered him down, but you didn't. And uh, I think that was a very, that was a very unfair judgment of you. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not your favorite fan, but I tell you what, I try to call the balls and strikes as I see them. Okay, Mike. All right. Thanks, okay. thanks very much indeed for your comments. Once again, 233-88266 is the number. Okay, quite a few emails on, on aspects of the uh, of uh, COVID. Um, uh, LK says, Ocean Park and Disneyland are now open, yet public playgrounds and football pitches remain cordoned off. So if we pay hundreds of dollars per head and squeeze into cable cars and gift shops, we're safe. But if we try to get some fresh air and exercise in open-air public sports facilities, the health risks are unbearable. Uh, once again, the government shows it cares more about big business and public health, but these are short-term concerns. The more important question is how the government's longer-term vision for urban planning is changing in light of COVID and climate change. Are we still going to pack buildings side by side? Or have we finally realised the need for open, public space, greenery and oxygen in urban areas? That comes uh, from uh, LK. Professor Cowling, can I, can I tempt you? Do, do, you think, do you think there are kind of uh, planning uh, uh, considerations that will come out of this, that should come out of this? We should have a little bit more space. We should have a lower density in Hong Kong? Yeah, definitely. And I think we've, we've known that since before COVID. That's not, that's not a consequence of COVID. We've known for a long time that the city's too dense in some places, not enough green areas, not enough leisure facilities and, and outdoor uh, places for activities in the city. But, uh, I mean, that's a long-term issue. But we are very blessed because uh, we do have very densely populated public housing estates, uh, yet, um, uh, you know, our, our confirmed cases are still pretty low. Uh, is yeah, that, that's yeah. what we've been. I think we've been a little bit lucky and we've also done a really good job. I think the government's done well and the, the people of Hong Kong have done well. If I could just make a couple of responses to the, the, the letter that you just read out, mm. the email that you just read out. Um, I think outdoor activities are really great. 
and uh, I think we should encourage them. I guess the reason why some of these uh, public sports facilities are not yet open is not because of the outdoor playgrounds, it's because of the toilets and the changing rooms, which would be an area where there's a little bit higher risk of of an outbreak occurring perhaps if, if there was contamination in a in a washroom as we saw if you remember the temp the temple outbreak in north point there was a washroom implicated in that so that may be an issue but i, I do get a little bit confused sometimes at why the government encourages some activities but not others uh, or discourages others when actually uh, we should have a more consistent approach to things do you think they should open the sports grounds I think they should open them, but keep the changing rooms closed and make it... That, was the, that was the plan last time round, wasn't it, as far as I recall? Yeah. They were going to do that? Keep well, them I, I think yeah, they right. should be open quite soon, I hope. Uh, but, Professor Cowling, what about travel bans? Uh, many countries are still very protective and uh, the summer holidays are coming. I know a number of uh, you know, many, many families are thinking whether they could travel, uh, even to short-haul travel to you know, other Asian cities. I guess that's not possible yet. I think the 14-day quarantine for people coming into Hong Kong has really, really been important in protecting Hong Kong against COVID outbreaks. Now, you can weigh that against the consequences of that, those travel restrictions. And then as, as time goes on, I think some parts of the world will have uh, very low levels of infection or zero infections, Australia, New Zealand, um, mainland China, South Korea, hopefully. Maybe we can establish travel bubbles with those locations so we can travel there without needing the 14-day quarantine. But right now, it would be a really bad idea for Hong Kong to open up to uh, Europe, America, other, other parts of the world that are heavily affected. Because like we've seen in Beijing, just one imported case can spark quite a large outbreak. And if we have a lot of those going on at the same time, it's going to be a real, real problem in terms of stopping COVID. Okay. Would you eat fresh salmon? Yeah, I don't think there's any risk to salmon, I mean, no, to be no. honest. I, I think, I think that, that was a, a red herring. <laughs> As you might say. Okay. Well, well, we'll get back to the topic and return to that and also talk about uh, uh, arrangements for uh, domestic helpers as they arrive in Hong Kong uh, after the news uh, at nine. Uh, put your questions. We've got a, quite a few uh, interesting uh, emails uh, to get to uh, in that second part of the programme, say, uh, after nine o'clock. Uh, email back to rthk.hk or give us a call like Mike, 233 uh, Quick look at the weather now before the news at nine. Sunny periods forecast for today with one or two isolated showers. Once again, it's going to be very hot with maximum temperature today of about 33 degrees, moderate southerly winds and the outlook, it'll be mainly fine and very hot in the next few days. The very hot weather warning is now in place and the readings at the moment 29 Celsius with a relative humidity of 78%. Brooks, who fled as police tried to detain him for suspected drink driving. The mayor said she couldn't wait for official recommendations before taking action. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, in the United States, in uh, the mainland uh, and uh, here in Hong Kong. Later, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, uh, helpers uh, in Hong Kong, quarantine uh, arrangement proposals. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, other topics uh, first. Uh, we're joined still by Professor Ben Cowling, uh, Division Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health 
at the University of Hong Kong. And back with us uh, now is uh, Eric Ding. He's uh, an epidemiologist and health economist and nutrition scientist at the Harvard Chan School of uh, Public Health in the United States. Once again, our email address, backchat.rthk.hk. Got some emails on different topics to, to uh, get to uh, in just a, a moment. But uh, Eric Ding, we were just talking uh, previously um, when we lost you about the situation in the US uh, and you were saying there seemed to be a decline uh, in numbers in the uh, east but uh, a worrying rise in the south. Yeah, there are many cases that's really, it's really surging from Arizona, Arkansas, Alabama, North Carolina, Mississippi, South Carolina. All these states are surging and it's hospital beds are also filling up, so it's very worrisome. And, and the reason for that is um, because the lockdown has been eased and people are traveling, and so there might be sort of, quote, mm -hmm. quote, quote unimported cases into those states? Oh. Yes, exactly. The lockdowns in many places went, uh, went away in uh, around Memorial Day, so that's the third week of May here, this year. So, and we've had exactly three weeks which is just about the amount of time for infections and incubation period and testing to show up into the new database system. So I think this is definitely due to the reopenings. I understand that in New York, um, you have to wear a mask if you go outside nowadays. Uh, but uh, in the southern states and western states like Arizona, uh, I don't think that is that sort of legislation is in place. It, does that make a big difference? Oh, that makes a big difference. We know from uh, the latest studies that it's very airborne and that the transmission is greatly, greatly reduced by mask wearing. It's just the compliance is very, very low, in especially conservative parts of the U.S. Oh, is there any effort to change that? I mean, are people trying to put laws in place? It's, it's hard because many of these conservative states are... It's, uh, mask wearing has become very politicized, and the red conservative states that are Republican and controlled by Republican governors are very loyal to Trump. And for some reason, it's, there's this mas toxic masculinity thing, and many of these states are very reluctant to impose mandatory masks, especially it goes against rugged individualism of a lot of these conservative areas. Hmm. Okay, some of the uh, emails. Um this is from Anthony, who says there's research in medical journal Nature or Medics Journal Nature that the virus has been in human bodies for years just to wait for some trigger to emerge. It can be seen in the outbreak of the virus geographically. Taiwan and its neighbour Fujian are of similar low levels of infection. Hong Kong and Shenzhen had similar infection rates. And in Hong Kong, most infections are imported from the UK and US rather than mainland China, though the absolute number of visitors far outnumber uh, of that from the Western world. Now we are seeing local infections in Shatin and Beijing. Having said that, the blame game will continue, as Apple Daily note, it's Wuhan virus, not COVID-19. Um, Dr. Ding, is that your understanding, that the virus is, has been in human bodies for years, just waiting for some trigger to emerge? No, there's, there's no support for that whatsoever, because the virology and the genomics, the genomics studies clearly show it's very recent. Any, there are other coronaviruses that sometimes cross-reacts. Again, coronavirus also includes many of the common colds. And so it could be a cross-reactivity. But this virus, this new COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, is definitely novel. It's never been 
previously studied or identified in the genomics whatsoever. Okay. Uh, here's an email from Paisley, uh, Paisley and perhaps uh, uh, Professor Cowling, you might want to address this. Paisley says, a couple of stats regarding the seafood and vegetable wholesale market at the centre of the Beijing outbreak. At 107 hectares, the size of the market is equivalent to 200 football pitches. The market provides seafood and vegetables to Beijing and four provinces whose combined population is over 250 million, which would make it the fifth most populated country uh, in the world. Food for thought. That comes uh, from uh, Paisley although he doesn't mention it of course there's a striking similarity between this uh, outbreak being apparently uh, it's reported you know centered at this wholesale market and what happened in in wuhan uh, is there a particular reason for that is it because you notice them more at the markets or you know is there more testing there or is, is a market like that a likely vector for the spread of the disease professor cowling uh, going back to wuhan the reason that infections were first identified in that market in Wuhan is because there was a special surveillance system looking for novel viruses and particularly concerned about spread from animals to humans. So people with pneumonia who work in a wet market are really, really carefully looked at and tested to see if there's a new virus. So that's why there was the, the cases were found in the market in Wuhan. At the time when there were 40 or so cases linked to the market, there were hundreds of other infections in Wuhan that had not been picked up. Mm. In Beijing, I guess this is just a coincidence that it's a market as well. It really is a big, uh, a big place, a lot of people going there. So maybe it's, it's just a, a partly chance and partly because it's such a big place that there have been these cases identified there and the opportunity for a lot of spread to occur in that kind of setting. So, so there's no such um, surveillance system in, in the Beijing market as opposed to the Wuhan one? I don't know if the cases that were first picked up linked to the Beijing market were picked up by the same surveillance system for pneumonia of unknown etiology. But in that system, if there's someone with pneumonia, particularly a middle-aged adult, that can't be explained by a known virus like flu virus or something, then they really test very carefully, especially if that person's uh, had any contact with animals because they're so worried about another SARS. Maybe that's what happened in Beijing, but that's not, I'm not aware of that. Are Asian wet markets uh, particularly dangerous places? Are they places where diseases get spread more easily, like this? No, I don't think so. I think in Asia we've seen outbreaks in all sorts of places. In Hong Kong we had outbreaks in the bars. Um, in South Korea there's a call centre, there's a church. I mean, all kinds of closed environments where there's a crowding, there's lots of people in small spaces, maybe poor ventilation in some cases. Um, I think those are the places where there's a higher chance of transmission occurring. Uh, because you know, the, uh, there's, a, there's an animal, you know, element in this, isn't there? And this is, markets are surely a place where animals and humans come into close contact. This is why you get bird flu. This is, you know, swine flu and so on. It's the, it's... Uh, so at the very beginning of this outbreak, it definitely, the virus spread from an animal to a human. Hmm. Um, in other outbreaks of other, other diseases we've seen, the virus go back to animals again and then jump backwards and forwards in this, COVID-19 outbreak epidemic worldwide pandemic. We have not seen that happen. Uh, in Hong Kong, you remember there were a couple of dogs infected, maybe a cat. Um, and we haven't seen transmission back from those animals to any other people. In other parts of the world, I haven't heard of human to animal to human. I think it made one jump, and that's, that's the only jump that we know about so far that's really been consequential. Mm. So if the virus, a trace of the virus is found on the chopping board of salmon, uh does it mean that, um, you know, if, if there are, like, live poultry in that market or, you know, w w would that be uh, risky? 
I, I don't think it would be risky in terms of the live poultry. I guess the virus in this case got onto the, the chopping board from the person who was using the chopping board and might maybe sick and contaminated the board. I mean, in theory, it's possible that if a patient, so if, if a COVID case was working with animals that were particularly vulnerable to infection, I don't think that includes chickens, then there could be a spread from the human to the animals and then it could get into, into an animal population and, and back into humans later. But we haven't heard of that happening, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Okay, here's an email from Mr Pink and perhaps uh, Eric Ding, you might want to address this. Mr Pink says, a worrying aspect of one uh, of the recent local COVID cases was that it needed a bronchoscopy to reveal that he was positive after a nasal swab, throat swab and stool test all came back negative. Does that suggest there could be scores of undetected non-symptomatic cases running around Hong Kong? It comes uh, from Mr Pink. What about the situation in, in, the, uh, you know, in the US and worldwide, Eric Ding? Yeah, that, that's certainly possible. It's previously also been identified in another case post-mortem of someone who recovered, but um, the virus continued to exist deep in their lungs upon autopsy. Uh, and these are live active viruses. So it's it's certainly possible that it, it sits in your uh, your lungs long-term. Although this, this is not the first disease to do so. Tuberculosis, once you're infected, and your body fights it off. It actually is sequestered in your lungs the rest of your life. To use IDD 0060. Oh, it's happened again. <laughs> Same problem. I, get, I understand there's some sort of problem with the, with the mobile phone network in the uh, US. Uh, uh, okay, let's go. Let's go uh, back to uh, the questions and, and uh, Benjamin Cowling. Uh, perhaps uh, this is from. Um, uh, Paul Zimmerman, who says markets like Beijing and warehouses like the uh, Kerry Center are places where truck and uh, trade and truck routes converge. That uh, observation uh, from uh, Paul Zimmerman. Uh, and uh, let's see, um, this is from Jay, who says, should Hong Kong have a second lockdown? I want to see the government educated on how to live on thin air. I want to see the government interfering with the banking system and extend mortgage payments for three or six three months or six months. I want to see electric and gas bills suspended. I want to see credit cards and banks spending loans for three to six months. I want to see the government giving every family at least 10000 a month, a 10000 handout after four, five, six months. There's absolutely nothing for the poor. We just get deeper and deeper in debt, which is what the government wants. And why should companies with directors receiving millions of dollars in bonuses get government handouts? And one free mask from the government doesn't make everything all right. Has this government any idea how much the public spend on masks for one month? Uh, those observations uh, from uh, Jay. Thanks very much indeed for that. And, and Paul says, admittedly, this is a bit of a trolling message, but uh, due the Black Lives Matter protests, and pun intended, the COVID-19 mask has slipped. Unless COVID-19 is some sort of magical sentient cloud that can actually tell the difference between government-approved protesters and, uh, for example, uh, small businesses, relatives in mourning and churchgoers, the situation is not as bad as we're being led to believe. That thought from Paul. Thank you for much indeed for that. And number once again, 233 We've got a caller. Good morning. Good morning. I just wanted to ask the doctor, there is a rumour that, that COVID-19 is mutating and therefore more difficult to control. Is that true? Uh, there's no evidence that that's happening right now. Viruses, by their nature, will slowly change. And the COVID virus has been slowly changing. There's no evidence that it's changed into a form that's any worse than how it started. 
Thank you very much for the clar- clarification. Okay, and just just to doubly clarify, um, uh, Professor Cowling is, is not a medical doctor, as far as I'm aware. Correct. I'm an epidemiologist. You're epidemiologist, and, and and Eric Ding is also not a medical doctor. He's also yeah. an epidemiologist. I should say that. I did introduce him as, as Doctor Ding, which is perhaps Thank a little you. bit misleading. Uh, okay. Uh, Colin says, uh, any chance of running clubs holding their road races in the near future? Four to five hundred people. Hong Kong uh, love their races. That's an interesting uh, idea from uh, Colin. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, we should be getting uh, I guess to talk a little bit about the um, to talk about the uh, situation with uh, helpers uh, in just a, a moment um, uh, Ben Cowling what about the let's go back to the question of the um, uh, travel bubbles uh, what about Macau um, Macau we could link to Macau perhaps and they have a very very low number of cases but Macau is, is basically open to Guangdong isn't it how do you how would you negotiate that? Uh, can we link to a place that is open? Yeah, I think the government needs to figure out the, the travel bubble with Macau and probably with mainland China together and have a three-way agreement. That would probably make the most sense. And I think the outbreak in Beijing may have set the clock back a little bit on the plans for that. Um, but still, in China as a whole, there's very, very, very few infections and I don't think we should wait until it's been zero for, for you know, a period of time. I think it's already a good time to think about opening up the restrictions with mainland China so that people can travel, especially for work. Uh, apart from um, traveling in the summer, a, a lot of uh, schools and universities are very worried about September. I know Cambridge University said that they might not have um, uh, face-to-face classes in, in, in the next school year. Um, uh, you are at the University of Hong Kong. Are you thinking about that, or you have any advice for um, secondary schools and primary schools? So we're certainly thinking about online classes for September. I don't think there's a, a, a concrete plan right now, but that's certainly a consideration because if coronavirus is still around, we think it will be, then we have to be very, very careful. And I think universities across the world are going to be thinking about online learning, which is uh, it's a little bit of a shame for students that are coming to a new place, maybe coming to Hong Kong, looking to meet new new uh, friends and classmates and, and have to do everything online. But uh, we've managed quite well the past year to do a lot of online learning. Mm. OK, well, to the question of, of the, the helpers, uh, Hong Kong uh, uh, hotels have been uh, asked to consider... Uh, offering uh, special room rates, uh, cheaper rooms, to uh, quarantine uh, an expected influx of uh, domestic helpers. Um, um, this is according to, to a health official. For comment, we're joined now by uh, Chan Tung Fung, who's chair of the Hong Kong Union of uh, Employment Agencies. Good morning to you. Good morning, Thank you, everyone. What, what, uh, what's your suggestion? What's your take on this? Uh, uh, if we do... Uh, the, the, you know, there has been a ban on, on uh, travel to uh, Hong Kong. When, if and when that's lifted, what sort of arrangements would you like to see? Yes, uh, according uh, to our prediction, we are expecting about 8,000 to 10,000 uh, domestic helpers from either Philippines or Indonesia with visa. They are coming to Hong Kong in the next two to three months because the Philippine government is lifting the ban starting from June 1. They are processing the paper for domestic helpers to come to Hong Kong. That's why we are worrying with the large number of influx to Hong Kong. Uh, 
employers in Hong Kong, they are not really ready or suitable to accommodate such great amount of people under home quarantine. Then, uh, according to our uh, simple survey to the employers, most of them, I think about 85% of the employers, the residences are not really suitable for home quarantine. Because according to the instructions from Labor Department, uh, the basic requirement for home quarantine is there should be at least an independent room and washroom for the helper. But uh, you can imagine, for the reality in Hong Kong, it's quite impossible. And the other, the second reason is also most of the employers, even they have suitable residences, spaces for the home quarantine, but they are still resistant to accept such kind of arrangement because they are afraid in case there is really virus carrier, it might cause some kind of infection or whatever reasons. Uh, so this is quite a serious public health issue. Okay, um, Mr. Chen, uh, when uh, a new domestic helper arrives in Hong Kong, uh, she will have to go to the Asia World Expo and be tested first. So, you know, it's only after she's tested ne negative could she enter the city. Um, yeah. Assuming assuming that there is um, there's an independent room for the helper, w would you say that the risk is um, is a bit low for the yes, family? Yes, uh, the, the risk, I, I admit, the risk is... Low, even uh, that, that's what I have to admit. The risk is low, but the point is, uh, if according to the standard quarantine uh, requirement, the f first is about the space, the second is the, I mean, the employer's resistance to such kind of arrangement to their homes. That, that, that's the question. And then, uh, if for some Currently, actually, currently, there are some scattered uh, domestic helpers coming to Hong Kong. But the, most of the employers, they try to do the another way. For example, they send them to hotels, uh, even the cheap hotels, but it still costs a lot. According to the to our members, most of the cases, if sent to hotels, it costs about three thousand to five thousand uh, together with. Not including the food. If including the food, it takes about 1,000 something more for two weeks. This is not a easy uh, task for the employer to handle. Uh, well, who, who are you suggesting should pay this? Are you suggesting the, the government or somebody else should, should pay for the uh, quarantine period? Uh, for the quarantine application is employer to pay of course and that's why we are thinking because this is the uh, my point is this is not only the quarantine for helpers under employers application but actually it's also a public health issue if in case there is some outbreak or infections from the worker to employers then it's it's not only the private matter, it's a social issue. Mm -hmm.
the Benjamin Cowling, what's what's your take on that? If you get you know up to ten thousand, it's been reported people coming from Indonesia and the Philippines uh, in in particular. Um, you know, who should be dealing with that? How would you approach that problem? So when people come to Hong Kong for new employment, take up employment here. Right now, they have to do 14-day quarantine first, mostly in a hotel, and they need to pay that themselves, or the employer needs to subsidize uh, somehow. So I can understand the, the rationale for asking employers to pay for domestic helpers. But I, I think the government can certainly do more to help domestic helpers, given they're really the, the, the pay is really, really low, and they don't benefit from things like the $10,000 handout, the, the other... Uh, the, the Hong Kong resident, uh, Hong Kong permanent residents are, are getting. So maybe there is a justification to to help a little bit at least, maybe to to share some of the costs of of those fourteen day quarantine periods for domestic helpers. Right from the public health point of view, um, if it is a small apartment and um, uh, and the employer is actually willing to to have the mate stay at home for the home quarantine, uh, you know, what what kind of uh, more flexible approaches w- would you suggest uh, so that you know the quarantine is um, in effect and you know everybody's safe? I think home quarantine is really difficult in small flats because, as, as, as you mentioned earlier, you really need a separate bedroom, a separate washroom, and you need to stay apart from the person who's in quarantine because otherwise, as we've seen, even if that person, sorry, if the, in the small possibility that that person actually has been infected, there's there's an opportunity for transmission to occur any time there's close contact. And so, I mean, it's really difficult for a 14-day period to avoid transmission occurring in a small flat. And that's why in Hong Kong, when we identify cases, we take them out of the home to somewhere else. And the people in quarantine are often uh, taken to other other places if they're close contacts, they're taken to Saikung or wherever. Because in flats in Hong Kong, it, it would be really difficult to stop transmission from occurring. What, what about all those uh, quarantine centres that are probably not very full these days? Uh, there's one uh, public housing estate in um, in Chartin which has been used for, for quarantine. Do you think some of that um, space could be used for domestic I, I don't know how much space is available, and I'm not sure that there will be thousands and thousands of rooms available in those quarantine centres, and in the, in the rooms of quarantine centres. And some of those will be family rooms, whereas with these domestic helpers, we may want to put them all in single rooms. But that's something for the government to, to figure out. I mean, maybe that, that could be used, and maybe hotels could be used, because I know hotels are, uh, have low occupancy at the moment. So it make a lot of sense to take make use of those facilities and those hotel rooms, but the question is probably who's going to pay. Mm. Mr. Chan, can't you yes. strike a deal with the hotels? Some of them uh, take up this opportunity? Yes, uh, actually, yesterday I also talked to uh, the legislative councillor and executive council member, Regina Yip, and the first question from him is how would you get the place? Because according to her, there is no such... Uh, available places for uh, community and quarantine. That, that that's that's the critical issues right now. So a uh, hotel is one of the options. Uh, according to the call, uh, uh, for for the cost of the quarantine, uh, currently is a hundred percent under employers' burden. Uh, the workers doesn't need to pay anything. That's what I understand. Uh, hotel, I think that's one of the options available at this moment. Suppose we are proposing to arrange such quarantine at remote areas, not in 
the city center. But whether there is really such a place, it's really for government to, to think about it. <laughs> Uh, but um, as compared to not having a helper, I actually know of several families with newborn babies. They've been really, you know, looking forward to yeah. having a helper, paying $3,000, $4,000 so that the helper can come right away and be quarantined for 14 days. I think I think that is sort of the price that, you know, employees should consider. Yeah, that, that's also one of the issues employers, some employers, they are really... Uh, upset about this because they, they have paid uh, quite handsome amount of money for, for hiring uh, to Mr. Helpers and now they have to pay 5000 or even more for the quarantine. That, that, that's really a burden for some of the employers, of course. But are they happy to, um, to sort of subsidize this and get over and done with? It's only 14 days after all. I don't think they, they will be happy about it. The first one is about the cost. The second is about the, uh, the potential or possible risk, especially uh, as what I know. Uh, I think for 400,000 domestic helpers in Hong Kong, nearly 50% of them, it means 200,000 workers, they are taking care of the elderly or the uh, the young babies. So, in case there is any case involved, it's really a serious threat to the public health. Okay, some just some comments to finish off. Jay says, uh, "Quarantine, very good for domestic helpers. Let the government commandeer all the China factory hotels in Qingyi. Meantime, domestic workers are complaining about their work accommodation. Let the immigration department do a proper job and check whether their employer complies with employment regulations and criteria." Um, and uh, Jay also says Manila still has a lockdown Duterte under circumstances has done a good job but the Hong Kong media is a little silent on P and Indonesia why is that? That comes uh, from uh, Jay uh, and uh, Mike uh, and a couple of emails just responding I think to Dr Ding says uh, there are now 10 different varieties of COVID-19 so how can your phone in experts say there's been no mutation very odd and uh, Mike also says, first, giveaway, keywords, toxic max masculinity. New York is a perfect example of stupidity. They won't follow social distancing and or masks, even at the peak of the pandemic. And New York is one of the most liberal places in the planet. Can't blame Trump for that. Some of the uptick in COVID is accountable to the heavier testing. That comes uh, from uh, Mike. Um, thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed to our guests, to uh, Professor Ben Cowling, Division Head of the Division of Epidemiology, Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us out, Professor Cowling. And uh, thank you very much to uh, Chan Tung Fong, who's Chair of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Chan. Uh, as well, um, just to finish off, uh, one more comment. Uh, this is from uh, S responding to uh, discussion, the suggestion uh, in the beginning of the programme that um, 
We should be thinking about changing street names here. Um, uh, S uh, says, uh, regarding changing of street names for whatever reasons, from my observation, even if the street names are changed, people will still refer to streets with their familiar names. Elgin Street, even if it is changed to any name, will still be referred to as Elgin Street and there will be a lot of unnecessary administration work involved. In some cities in Asia where names are changed, even taxi drivers get confused due to the name changes for practical reasons. Is it all worth the effort? Uh, asks uh, S. And um, uh, this is from uh, Din. Uh, after SARS, the Hong Kong SARG was supposed to stockpile PPE for the hospital authority and uh, government departments. When SARS COVID 2 emerged, the stockpile was mostly missing. Can anyone on the program explain what happened, or do they think there will be an effective inquiry into this failure? by a COI, Commission of Inquiry, or the ICAC. Uh, thanks very much indeed for that question, uh, Din, and thank you to uh, all those comments and uh, calls uh, this morning. And uh, Ada, many thanks to you and to uh, producer Michelle Chan. Uh, we're back at 8.30 tomorrow. The weather, sunny periods and isolated showers. Very hot, temperatures up to 33 degrees. The outlook mainly fine and very hot in the next few days. Uh, 30 degrees at the moment, relative humidity at 80% with a very hot weather warning. The Employment Support Scheme provides employers with six months wage subsidy in two tranches. The first tranche accepts applications from May 25th to June 14th, with payment to start before the end of June. The subsidy must be fully used for paying wages. No redundancy should be made. MPF contributing employers and those with occupational retirement schemes are eligible. Self-employed persons with MPF accounts at the end of March may apply for a one-off subsidy. Visit ess.gov.hk for details. I'm 33, the news now with Samantha Butler. The chairman of the Bar Association says Beijing's intention to take control of the most serious national security cases in Hong Kong amounts to a reverse engineering of the failed extradition bill. The bill caused widespread protests here amid concerns people could be taken across the border to be tried. Philip Dykes was commenting after a deputy director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office indicated Beijing might exercise jurisdiction in rare cases. Cross-border students appear to have had a quicker commute to school this morning, facing much shorter queues at the border. The government said around 1,500 senior secondary students crossed the border yesterday, the first batch since schools were closed due to the coronavirus. And the United States has confirmed it plans to withdraw thousands of its troops stationed in Germany. President Trump described Germany as delinquent for not spending enough on its own defence. But the German ambassador to Washington said American soldiers were in Europe to defend transatlantic security, not her country. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven, and my oh so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decide for what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning, welcome to Tuesday and Bloomsday. Yep, here on Morning Brew. What's Bloomsday? Well, about 35 minutes, David Costello, the Consul General of Ireland to Hong Kong and Macau, will tell you. I'm sure you know anyway, because posh listeners. 10.40, Osboy Jared Watt's going to be with me for this week's